and uh, we're going to read the whole of the chapter, Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're at your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with them. Having secured the support of a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So reads God's 
precious and inspired word. I'm going to continue in our praise and worship just now as we uplift our offering as part and parcel of our weekly worship. Please, if you're a visitor, um, just allow the bag to, to, to pass you by. But as we do so, we're going to uh, certainly remain seated for the, the beginning of the hymn anyway and sing the splendour of the King. Sunday evening, and actually um, for a little bit on Wednesday evening at Christianity Explored, we, we were looking at Mark chapter 4 where we read of how the disciples set out on a boat with Jesus and out of absolutely nowhere came a, came a storm, a furious squall that threatened to capsize the boat and that brought even to these experienced seamen great fear. And I, I was drawing out last Sunday evening of how just out of the blue, storms of different kinds can come upon us. And in many ways that is what is happening here in Acts chapter 12. As we have been working our way through Acts, we, we see that the church is really growing. God is on the move. It is expanding into new territory. And everything seems to be well. However, in the midst of it, we see real opposition arising. We see a real storm, as it were, brewing. And as we come to Acts chapter 12, and I've been challenged by this, this this week in study, we've got to be careful that we don't just kind of brush out what is happening here in regards to James, who we read was put to death, or indeed Peter, who was put in prison and would almost certainly have been martyred as well. We've got to be careful that we don't just skip over that just by looking into the miracle of Peter's escape. James and Peter are both pillars of the early church. They are both faithful men. They are both doing God's work. Yet, as we read chapter 12, we find that one is killed, martyred, and one is miraculously delivered. And it is hard to think, is it not, that if the church, and we'll come to all of this later on, but if the church was earnestly praying for Peter, then one would assume that it was doing the same for James. Yet, we have two totally different outcomes. And before moving into kind of the main body of the text, although this is pretty main as well, there's a vitally important lesson for us here, friends, and that is this. As believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to, above and beyond everything else, learn to trust and rest in the sovereign will of God. And at times, that can be hard. Because just as here, some of us, and only too well, know from personal experiences 
that we can look at two situations and we can see two different outcomes. Peter was delivered. James was murdered. And there are times, as I said, that we can look into similar situations and see the same thing. One person is healed, another dies. One family sees household salvation, another doesn't, or at least not yet. And friends, whatever experiences God's providence permits us to go through, our priority is to be obedient. It is to trust. It is to look up and to behold our God seated on his throne. If you think back to Peter's last time in jail, I, I read a little bit about it at the beginning of the service, and of how he, when he was re released and like here, he goes to the prayer meeting and, and they gather together. You remember Acts chapter 4, part of their prayer, indeed the crux of their prayer, was that even in the midst of persecution, God would consider the threats against them. That's all they prayed. And that they would be enabled to speak out boldly the word of God. And that's what Peter and James and all the others have been doing. And this is where it's got them. James murdered Peter in prison. And that God would stretch out his hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. Yet at the very heart of that prayer is a belief in the sovereignty of God. Indeed, that's how the verse, that's how, sorry, the prayer begins. Acts chapter 4, verse 25. The first two words, sovereign Lord. And here we have Herod, who was a nasty piece of work. Herod, as the earthly king, is seeking to do his best to destroy the church. Murdering James, imprisoning Peter, with no doubt the same fate awaiting. And brothers and sisters, that is the reality for some of our brothers and sisters this morning. They are languishing in prison, not knowing what lies ahead. Some have seen family members murdered and martyred simply because of their faith. Opposition is rife. Yet, as we will see, the passage ends with the demise of Herod. And in all things we go through, and in all the things that we see around us today, all the confusion, all the, one, all the uncertainty, we do well to remember that it is the one who is seated on heaven's throne, who is in control of all things, and not any earthly ruler, whether that be Herod or anyone else down through the years. I felt it important to draw out that point. Because not just was Peter delivered, James was martyred. Three things. There's a praying, there's a delivering, 
There's a judging. Praying. Herod saw that killing James pleased the Jews. So in order to further please them, he decides to seize Peter, Peter and put him into prison. And notice carefully what Luke tells us. Peter was guarded by four squads of four soldiers. And on this particular night, probably like every night, he was also between two soldiers bound with chains. And we'll kind of come more to that in the next point. But notice verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. And it would seem that this was not just an overnight stay. Most commentaries think that he was in probably for about a week. However, look what we are told. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. And I really just want the text to speak for itself. And the first thing is to notice that this is the church at prayer. It's not just one or two. It's not just some small group. It is the church. It is the collective body of God's people who are praying. That's why I put such an importance on the corporate prayer life of the church. It is why we have now three opportunities in any given month to gather together to pray as the church. You cannot read Acts. You cannot read Acts without seeing clearly the place that corporate prayer played in the early church. And I believe that that is something we need to not only acknowledge but actually imitate. Now, of course, prayer goes on at other times. But there is something powerful, I believe, when the church gathers together. Notice also that they prayed earnestly. The scholars inform us that the word that Luke uses for earnestly here is the same word that he uses in his gospel in chapter 22, verse 44, regarding Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. This was not just a God bless Peter. One writer says this, it gives the impression of wholehearted, Urgent pleading to God. Does that characterize my prayer life? Your prayer life? Does that characterize our corporate and individual prayer life? We see it so often in the Bible. Abraham pleading for Sodom. Jacob wrestling with God. Moses standing in the breach. Hannah. Hannah praying to such an extent the priest thought she was drunk. You think of David and others. 
all who had a passion for prayer, believing that God could and God would hear. Often it takes a serious situation akin to this for us to see the need. But brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you there is need. There is desperate need all around us. Loved ones unsaved. Communities untouched with the gospel. A nation in turmoil. And I ask myself amidst it all, where is my wholehearted, urgent pleading to God? Where is the passion that had John Knox cry out, give me Scotland or I die? I let me keep it personal unless you think I'm just on a hobby horse. I get passionate about many things. I give myself and time to many things. But what about prayer? We are in a spiritual war. I've never felt it more than this past week. We are in a spiritual war. And John Stock comments, here are two communities, the world and the church, and they are arrayed against each other. And each wielding, if you like, an appropriate weapon. On the one side was the authority of Herod, the power of the sword, and the security of the prison. On the other side, the church turned to prayer, which is the only weapon the powerless possess. It's not a hobby horse, brothers and sisters, but may I, may you, may we be passionate, wholehearted, and urgent in all of our praying, and we will be amazed amazed at what God will do. We were praying. Secondly, we read of delivering. We are told that it was the night before Peter was due to be brought to trial that this miracle, because that's what it is, takes place. The night before. Another reminder, isn't it, that God will always act in his time. And notice the detail we are told. I mentioned the heavy security and chained to the guards and all of that. But, but here is what struck me more than that. We are told that Peter was sleeping. Now, if you were in this position, if you were chained to two guards, if you were facing the real possibility of execution in the morning, would you be sleeping? No, neither would I. What gave Peter such peace? Just thinking back to last Sunday evening when Jesus was sleeping amidst the storm. What, what gave Peter 
such peace? Well, for a start, the church was earnestly praying for him. Forgive the personal illustration, but it kind of struck home with me this particular bit. Not that I was languishing in prison. Um, I, I, I remember being in, being in hospital in Glasgow. And I kept in longer than expected. I was kept in over the weekend as well. And on Friday and Saturday, I couldn't sleep at all. On a Sunday night, after Susan went from visiting, I slept from visiting right through to the next morning. Months later, months later, when I was preaching at a church that I often went to, to, to preach and who knew that I was in hospital, one of the ladies told me that that Sunday evening they had a prayer meeting after the evening service for me and were praying for me. Peter also, not only was he benefiting from the people's prayers, I also believe that he knew he was in the will of God. And what a comfort that is. He may also have been holding on to the promise that Jesus gave him in John 21 about how he would live to be an old man and also spoke of the type of death that he would die. And here are two great blessings that the believer in Christ can rest upon even in the most difficult of situations. The prayers of God's people and the promises of God's word. Hold fast to them. Psalm 4 verse 8 says this. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And Peter is sound asleep. He is so sound asleep that when the angel appears, the light, the light, the bright light doesn't even waken him, and the angel has got to strike him to waken him up. The angel tells him what to do. You see, God often expects us to do our part also. And Peter is led out of the prison. He's passed the guards out onto the street. And then the angel leaves him. And we're told that Peter comes to himself. What is going on? Well, what is going on, brothers and sisters, is nothing more than God delivering his servant from the jaws of death and using an angel to do it. There's no other reason other than this is an answer to the prayers of God's people. How did it all happen? Why didn't the soldiers see it? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that Peter's God and that my God and that your God is able.
more than able. And you may have doubts, you may have questions. What of angels and what part of any do they play today? The truth of the matter is that here God responds to the prayers of his people and he did an amazing thing that night and he delivered Peter from the prison. And when Peter comes to himself, the first thing he does is make a beeline for the house of Mary where people are what? Praying. Praying. And it's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night. And then there is what I see, and forgive me if you don't, but I see a little bit of almost comedy here. There, the church are gathered to pray. And I'm sure that amongst their prayers would be, Lord, release Peter. And then we are told Peter comes knocking on the door. And he can't get... It was easier for Peter to get out of the prison than it was to get into the prayer meeting that night. There is excitement in Rhoda's part. And there is unbelief in others. That's often the case. And all the time, Peter is standing, knocking. Let me in. Let me in. What a glorious deliverance. And notice verse 17. Because Luke makes it clear. The Lord brought it about. This is the Lord's doing. And it was marvelous in their eyes. You see, Peter was sleeping. Peter was chained. Peter was imprisoned. There was nothing at all that Peter could do to aid his deliverance. If I may just take a little digression here but an important one. Let me lovingly say, friends, that is the state of every one of us outside of Jesus Christ. Not only are we asleep, Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are dead in our sins. We are chained and we are bound and we are imprisoned to the ways of the devil. And it is only God in Christ who can set us free and who can deliver us. I trust, I pray that you all know that deliverance. Praying, delivering, finally judging. Morning comes. It always does. It always does. And as you can imagine, there is a great commotion in the jail. No one seems to know what happens to Peter. And so Herod, being the kind of guy he was, orders the guards to be executed. 
He really was not a nice guy. A real tyrant. His grandfather was the Herod who ordered all the slaughter of the babies following the birth of Christ. You know, years later, Peter writing in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, actually quotes Psalm 34, verses 15 and 16. And Psalm 34, verses 15 and 16, could actually be written over this whole episode. Psalm 34, verse 15, tells us, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God sees what's happening to his children. It tells us that his ears are attentive to their cry. God hears the cries of his people. And it also tells us the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That is, he will act. God will not be mocked. When, we when, when Christians are persecuted, God feels it. And one day we will all have to give an account to God. One day, like Herod, our time will be up. And that timing, and it does as well to remember this and everything that's going on just now regarding abortion and euthanasia and all the rest of it, our times are in God's hands. And God is the giver and God is the taker of life. And Herod, we are told, is away at some kind of conference. And there's delegates there from Tyre and Sidon. And they need him on their side, especially Jew. Remember we talked about how Agabus foretold of a, of a famine coming up and Tyre and Sidon. They've got a problem now with food shortage. And it's only Herod that can help them. And so he has this kind of council meeting, if you like, and, and Herod appears, and there he is. He's dressed up to his nines and all his regal splendor sitting on his throne. And the crowd, eager to please him, shout out, no doubt in praise of Herod, this is the voice of God, not of a man. And Herod, in accepting this faint praise, and in not acknowledging God, we are told, graphically, was struck down by an angel of the Lord, was eaten by worms and died. Herod was taking glory to himself. Herod lived for himself. Herod was a man like many who today live life in the words of the old Frank Sinatra song, My Way. My Way. But you see, friends, this episode and the Bible in general warns us that a time of judgment is coming. And the only way, the only way that we can be ready for that coming judgment is by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and seeking to live our lives for him.
There is no other way. And Herod had a horrible end. Yet we are warned of an even worse fate that awaits those who die, however they die, outside of Christ. And that is eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Don't just let these things wash over you. Give them careful thought because they are matters of vital importance. They are matters not just of life and death, but they are matters of heaven and hell and where will you spend eternity. Notice how Luke finishes this part. He tells us, and he uses a little phrase that we find often in the earlier part of Acts that we've looked at quite a few times. The word of God continued to increase and spread. You see, friends, nothing Nothing and no one will stop Christ from building his church. Nothing and no one will cause the word of God to stop. The word of God and his kingdom will go on increasing, will go on spreading, will go on being built. May we see it here in our day increasing and spreading and being built for his praise and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.